Thank you, ladies. I enjoy that song. One of you mentioned what you were going to be singing uh, maybe a week ago, and uh, I said it brought back memories for me. I was a part of a youth group when I was about their age, maybe just a little younger, that uh, we would sing that song at the end of every youth group meeting. That's not what we do here as a youth group, but uh, brought back both the meaning of the song and uh, memories of that youth group. Uh, that was a lot of fun. I appreciate everybody who's come tonight. appreciate every teen who's been willing to use of their talents and their time and their efforts for the Lord. And uh, just looking forward to digging into God's Word here in just a moment. One quick announcement before we get started. Uh, there will be a baptism next Sunday uh, morning. Uh, Pastor John's given me permission to uh, be the one doing the baptizing because it's Brooklyn and Addison. It's our, our daughters. They've been saved for a little over a year now. And uh, we're real excited about that. And uh, appreciate Pastor John giving me that opportunity. And if there's any others who are uh, eager for the next chance we had to uh, baptize, you feel free to talk to Pastor John or myself. We'd be happy to, uh, to talk with you about that. But uh, Dad's a little excited about next week. That's, uh, that's exciting. And I'm, I'm real grateful for my girls having been saved for a little while now. And then, uh, I mean, they'll tell everybody about it, but uh, making that public through obedience to baptism and that, and we're excited there. I will say it was really Disappointing, I'll admit, when I realized just with our trip this week, we were glad to be able to get away for Thanksgiving and spend a couple days before Thanksgiving as a family. But I realized quickly that the best time for us to be away would be Tuesday through Saturday last week. I enjoy the Thanksgiving praise service. It's one of my favorite things that uh, we do. But I will say it was really, really encouraging. I got a few texts where they're in the hotel and got several texts that from, from teens and saying that, uh, hey, I can come. And I think a couple of them even said their parents could come. And so it sounded like it must have been a great service. And I've heard that as well, just the excitement. And I love that because it's really, it's a Marlbrook service. It's not a kid service or a teen service. But uh, some of y'all maybe hear us through the floor on Wednesdays. And sorry about that. But uh, you don't necessarily, if you're up here each Wednesday, get to meet some of those kids and some of those teens because maybe they only come Wednesdays. But man, some of them, they don't miss a Wednesday. Some of them are really faithful, really growing, really digging in, exciting stuff that God is doing in their lives. Just some awesome, awesome young people. And I realized that that service is one chance some of you got probably to meet some of them. I heard they were a little loud, sorry. But I think there's a lot of excitement and I appreciate Pastor John putting that service on. And they are absolutely, even if they only come on Wednesday, they are absolutely a part of Marlbrook, the whole church, all of that. And I feel like that service hopefully helps them to get a sense of that. Because I hope they'll start coming more on Sundays and, when, you know, and Wednesdays as well. But I mean, I'm excited for our church and the investment and the opportunities God gives us for the kids and teens, whether they come to every service or only this one or only that one. And I appreciate our church doing things like the Next Generation Services, three and teens on Wednesdays. Church that cares about kids, teens, and adults. It's a church that cares about people. Church that wants to go out in the cold with the bus. Let me see if I can say it. The big blue bus. I got it. That is a tongue twister, though. And uh, go out there in just a few days and tell people about Jesus, tell people about our church, about the cantata. And it's just a privilege to be a part of what God is doing here. Well, my message title tonight, maybe a timely reminder. It's simply Refuse to Rush. And maybe your life feels absolutely like that clock. And I will admit it'll be just a moment before we're in Esther 3 and 4, but that will be our main text tonight. But uh, 
this Thanksgiving season wrapping up. Maybe you went Black Friday shopping. More power to you if you did. I did not. That is, I don't like to shop on a normal Friday, let alone on Black Friday. Then as we come into Christmas, one of my favorite times of the year. I absolutely love it. But rush can be a good description of it. And so we need to be careful to refuse to rush past what God is doing. Refuse to rush and realize maybe after we've made a couple mistakes that we've been absolutely rushing ahead of God's plan and God's timing and God's purpose and wondering why he's not providing. When he is, it's just we've run ahead of it. Or realize that we've outrun him and now all of a sudden we're totally in the flesh, moving in our own ways. So maybe that's a good mantra, a good saying for uh, December and the end of November, as well as really each day in our lives, refuse to rush. I picture in my silly youth pastor dad of little kids brain a three-legged race. Anybody done one in the last month or two? I won't make you come up here and demonstrate. I'm just curious. I was just curious if there was one adult that would raise their hand and admit it, I just randomly had done one. But you ever do it with the right partner? Oh, man, you're, you're in sync, and you're going, and you're moving with your, your middle legs, you know, tied together. You're, you're just moving. You ever do it with the wrong partner? No matter what you do, it is out of sync. My, my wife and I, she's smirking at me. We've realized a long time ago we love youth group games. We love playing them together on opposite teams. Uh, we would not be the three-legged race winners. But, man, you, you get out of sync. It just doesn't go well. But you get in sync. In sync it just works. God has the exact pace we should be going, the exact things we should be doing, and I hope we'll make sure we're not rushing ahead of that, that we're in sync with him. In the New Testament, Jesus puts it as uh, his yoke is easy and his burden is light, a verse Pastor John quoted this morning, and uh, two oxen are going to walk in a yoke, one's trying to move faster, one's trying to go a different direction, it's not going to work. I mean, they can accomplish something moving together, and if we'll move through even this busy season the way Jesus has for us, it'll be awesome. Boy, it's easy to rush right past God's plan, God's best. Proverbs 29.20 says, Seest thou a man that is hasty in his words? There is more hope of a fool than of him. You ever get hasty in your words? You ever speak first and think later? I heard a lot of guys agreeing with me on that one. Yeah, I'll pray for your marriages and all of that. I understand you pray for mine. I'll pray for yours. It'll be good. Boy, there are times to refuse to rush there. And again, like I said, God's provision is there. But if we run ahead of it, it doesn't work well. Proverbs 21.5 says, The thoughts of the diligent tend only to plenteousness, but of everyone that is hasty, only to want. And if the pressure and stress, if that's what's calling the shots in our lives, we'll rush right into more pressure, more stress, or even worse. Psalm 27:11 is a, a verse that's meant a lot to me for several years. It says, teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Now, maybe you're not facing literal human enemies, and maybe it's just stress and pressure and all of those sorts of things. Maybe sickness, who knows? But if we're seeking God's will, we're walking with him, he'll make the, the path plain. And frankly, if he hasn't, apparently we're not supposed to walk there yet. He'll make the path plain. But so often it can be tempting to let the world rush us ahead of what he's doing and let our own flesh rush us way ahead and then wonder where the plain path is. Wonder why the plain's almost muddy, the path's almost muddy, not plain. Well, let's refuse to rush. It really is rare to rush to what's right. Now, it's really not a question of speed. There are times to serve God fast, to serve God by getting busy, getting after it, running as hard as we can. 
It's really a question of slowing down long enough to know that we're going God's direction and at the pace he chooses for us. It's not as much about speed as direction, knowing what God wants us to do. A lot of times we just hurry up, do our own plan, and then hurry up to try to fix it, and it ends up being a cycle. We're going to look at five examples in just a moment from the book of Esther on how we can refuse to rush, and I hope that will be us. I've often preached to teens about the word halt. It just means stop, but H-A-L-T. If you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, those are times to halt, to stop, to take a step back, Eat a Snickers bar because you're not you when you're hungry. Take a nap. Don't send that email or that letter or make that phone call if you're angry. If you're lonely, get around the right people, not the wrong people. Again, if you're tired, take a nap. And this is kind of an extension of that idea that's certainly not original to me. But there are times where we just need to stop, to halt, to stop, to step back. And then there are times where we can't completely stay stopped. We've got to keep going with life. We've got to deal with the things that are stressing us out and the pressure. But we don't ever have to rush past what God has for us. We can work hard, we can move quickly, but at God's pace. So I hope this holiday season, this Christmas and New Year's and Thanksgiving season, we'll refuse to rush. And I hope the book of Esther will be an example to us of that. Let's pray, and we'll dive into Esther 3. Father God, thank you that you have a perfect plan. You're never early, you're never late, you're always on time. And I pray that in any area of my life and all of our lives, if we're rushing ahead of you, that we'll stop. <laughs> we'll just take a step back. We'll get so close to you that we're walking in step with you. Your yoke is easy. Your burden is light. And you don't want us to just be feeling so pressured constantly and, and feeling so stressed. You want us to be able to enjoy the life you're blessing us with. And I pray that we'll refuse to rush, whether it's Christmas shopping and holiday planning for Christmas meals and all of those things, or something that has absolutely nothing to do with the season we're in right now. I pray that we'll refuse to rush ahead of you, that these reminders from Esther will challenge us, will help us to walk in step constantly with our Savior. Thank you for being with us tonight. Again, thank you for the teens who have uh, participated and done so well. I pray that you'll bless them for it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, first of all, refuse to rush into panic when fear seems overwhelming. Now, I won't go through the entire book of Esther. I will say my life, just different circumstances. I keep coming back to the book and the story of Esther. We went back in June and saw the sight and sound play Esther, and they did a phenomenal job. And then just as that was, you know, fading in my mind a little bit, several of you were able to go, and you told me about it, and I've enjoyed talking with you about it, and that's been a great reminder. We recently read through and studied through the book of Esther in uh, our Old Testament class in, in FBI. And my wife was even watching a movie based on the book of Esther just the other night. Esther just keeps coming back to my mind. And I think it's for these reasons, to be a reminder. There were so many times in the book of Esther when fear could have caused Mordecai and some of the other characters you're probably familiar with to absolutely panic. I mean, you got the king, and we'll talk about Ahasuerus in just a little bit more detail in a moment, but uh, he appoints Haman, this wicked, ungodly man, to be basically his, his second in command, and Haman gets the king to say, everybody's got to bow to you. Well, Mordecai is a Jew, follower of God. He doesn't want to disobey God, but there's a lot of fear. 
that absolutely could have made Mordecai panic. Notice in Esther 3.5, it says, And when Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence, then was Haman full of wrath. Now, we'll come back to Haman a little bit more and some of the mistakes he made uh, that really go along with this message. But it's amazing how Esther 3, we'll look at the first four verses in just a moment, remind us that right is right, no matter what's at stake. Mordecai could have panicked. He could have said, well, I'm in a foreign land, and, and everything's going crazy, and everybody's bowing, and I just have to bow. But he didn't panic. I'm sure he felt some fear. I mean, his life is on the line. And most of you would be familiar with the story. We'll talk about it more on the next point. But it becomes not just his life on the line. It becomes the life of all the Jews. And again, I won't go into all of the details in the book of Esther. But notice in verse three, starting in verse, or chapter 3, starting in verse 1, this wasn't just a one-time thing for Mordecai. It says, After these things did King Ahasuerus promote Haman, the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, and advance him and set his seat above all the princes that were with him. And all the king's servants that were in the king's gate bowed and reverenced Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence. Then the king's servants, which were in the king's gate, said unto Mordecai, Why transgressest thou the king's commandment? Now it came to pass when they spake daily unto him, and he hearkened not unto them. This is a lot more than a one-time stand that Mordecai took that they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's matters would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. So that's why he's not bowing, because it goes against his, his religious beliefs, his beliefs there to worship the one true God and to bow only to him. But this was daily. And then it was told, they tattled on him to Haman. And then we come to verse 5, where Haman is still, or where Mordecai is still not willing to bow. He didn't rush. I'm sure the fear was there. I'm sure it was very real probably more real or as real as any fear that you and I are facing in our lives. And he could have rushed into panic. He could have rushed into false worship. He could have rushed into a lot of mistakes. And doesn't fear make us want to panic and to just hurry up into that? Poor Brooklyn. Pray, pray for, for sweet Brooklyn there um, in, in the car accident several weeks ago. I mean, again, slid down the side of the hill off the Blue Ridge. Very traumatic experience for her. Now, she nailed it. Before Miss Jen was able to even get down there, Brooklyn had unbuckled herself and checking on little Levi that Jen babysits and making sure he was okay. And, I mean, everybody was fine. God was so good. But she, she nailed it in the moment, gets back up, doing awesome. But as you can imagine, now when we get in a car, we're going on a mountain. Well, we, we live in a valley. We're going to go anywhere. There's going to be hills and mountains. So pray for poor Brooklyn. She's dealing with that fear, and we're able to parent her. We're able to, to help counsel her and guide her that even when you feel afraid, and her fears make sense, even when she feels afraid, and it's okay for her to be afraid, for her to not panic, for her to still do right, even when she feels afraid. And we'll tell her that, and we'll remind her, and, and she'll get there. She's doing fine. We just went on a trip. She did fine. She's really getting there. But it's always convicting to me. How often, if there's some fear on my mind, does it make me want to hurry up into my own solution or even hurry up into panic? And I think God's saying, hey, hold on. Just walk with me through this. <laughs> you, most of you know the end of the story. Maybe all of you do. God takes care of Mordecai. Mordecai is promoted in the end. Haman gets his comeuppance quite literally. It doesn't go well for Haman. It goes extremely well for Mordecai. God had it all planned out. 
we can get so concerned with the fear and let it, that be what's calling the shots in our lives. God's got a plan. Let's just walk with him. Let's refuse to rush into that. Um, it was uh, not to be too political and really not a p comment about a candidate at all, but in a fairly recent, not the most recent, but a fairly recent presidential election, one candidate used the slogan, forward. Someone who didn't agree with that candidate made the comment, before you shout forward, make sure your feet are facing the right direction. And, and that is important. We should be ready and willing and wanting to move forward for God. But let's make sure we're moving forward for God with him, not allowing panic and fear to drive us. I believe it was Davy Crockett that said, be sure you're right, then go ahead. How many of us run from thing to thing in fear and in panic or in other things, and we skip that first step. Let's, let's refuse to rush. Let's spend time with our Savior. Make sure we're going the right way. Mordecai knew he was. And then move ahead in that plan. And often a single courageous right choice in public, like Mordecai did, is based on hours spent with our Savior in private. I love the song. I'll just share the title for right now. But the song, Take Time to Be Holy. And not that we can spend time making ourselves holy, but we can live lives that please God if we're not ruled by rushing and fear and panic. But we spend the time with God. We take time to be holy, to make sure we're lining up with him. <laughs> Mistakes, they often take no time at all, no thought, no careful consideration. Let's refuse to rush past God's best, God's plan for our life, for today, for your situation, for your need. A lot of times... I hope you're not like me on this, but a lot of times my first impulse isn't what I should do. What comes to mind first, especially in a fearful or, or difficult situation, but if I refuse to rush and just go with what feels right in the moment, but I'll go with what God has, he'll show me the right way. Yeah, I'm reminded of this. I could stand here and say that I'm brave, that I'm brave enough to be around snakes. I could say that right now because there's no snakes around. Uh, we went to uh, Sequest a couple weeks ago with my, my mom and dad and my brother and his family. And uh, Addison and I are apparently kindred spirits when it comes to snakes. Snake was over there. Um, my nephew was uh, holding the snake, like twisting the thing all around. Uh, my sister-in-law, all of that. Addison and I are as far away, not even looking at the snake. I could stand here and say, yeah, I'm brave. I, I could be around snake. Nope. I know it's not true, but so often we're, we can say, oh, I'd take a godly stand, and if I were Mordecai, I wouldn't bow. Taking a stand now? I hope so. We'll never do it then if we won't do it now. Silly analogy, I know, but if I want to go to Sequest and be brave next time, which I don't, but if I want to be around snakes, I got some fears to conquer. I better start working at it now. I'm the type, if I'm flipping through Facebook, and I see someone's pet snake on there. I'm scrolling as fast as I can. I don't want to look at pictures. I don't want to be around them. Me and snakes don't get along. No way I'd be brave enough in the, in the heat of the moment when the fear and the panic is there in sequest to pet that snake. Don't have to pet snakes. I think it's weird if you do. I don't have a personal opinion. But man, if we want to take a stand for God then, let's take a stand for God now. If we want to take a stand for God there, wherever there is, let's take a stand for God here. Let's be all about that now. Mordecai took an amazing stand for God, literally stand instead of bowing, no doubt based on daily choices to live God's way, even in a pagan foreign land. Let's be like Mordecai and refuse to rush into panic, even when fear seems overwhelming. But next, let's refuse to rush into what seems right 
when you're angry? Just us and whoever's watching online. Do you ever have some bad ideas when you're mad? You ever have any good ideas when you're mad? That can happen. Uh, Jesus was angry at those turning, you know, the, the turning his father's house into a den of thieves, and he had a good idea of overturning the tables and stopping them. I don't usually have good ideas when I'm angry. You ever want to say something when you're really angry, and five minutes later, you're really glad you kept your mouth shut? Yeah. Angry is that, when you're angry is a really good time to refuse to rush into what sounds right when you're angry. Unfortunately, Haman rushes right on in. Esther 3, verse 5, we read a moment ago. It says, And when Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence, that was, then was Haman full of wrath. And he thought scorn to lay hands on Mordecai alone, not good enough to kill him by himself, for they had showed him the people of Mordecai. Wherefore, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews that were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, even the people of Mordecai. So because one guy won't bow and worship you, you want to kill an entire people group, an entire country of people? Horrible idea. Totally made sense to Haman. He's kind of, at this point, what could go wrong? Well, again, most of you know the end of the story. He ends up, ends up impaled on a spike at the end of the story. Die, dead. Does not go well for him at all. The decision was based on anger, and it does not go well. A couple of verses that can help us with this. Proverbs 14, 29 says, He that is slow to wrath is of great understanding, but he that is hasty of spirit exalteth folly. Sometimes we'll just slow down. Maybe you can't halt completely and leave the situation. What if we just slow down, spend some time with God, even just say, I've heard of a concept called breath prayers or breathing a prayer, where you're in the moment, you can't leave the moment right then, but you can just say, God, help me. And it just takes no more time than a breath. God, guard my mouth. God, help me to not do something I shouldn't do. And just a sentence, just a quick prayer. It said either silently or just breathing a quick prayer there, taking that moment to make sure we'll be slow to wrath, instead of hasty of spirit. Ecclesiastes 7, 9 says, Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger resteth in the, bosoms of fool, in the bosom of fools. You ever want something to get mad at? I hope not. But you ever just wake up, and maybe it's Monday mornings before that first cup of coffee, or that third cup of coffee, whatever the case may be, and you're just looking to pick a fight with somebody. You're just looking for someone to get angry. I hope that won't be us, whether it's a Monday morning, that alarm goes off earlier than it was supposed to, or, uh, you know, whatever, the dog wakes you up, the kids wake you up, whatever it is. But in big situations, small situations, and everything in between, I hope we won't be hasty to be angry. I hope we'll be slow to wrath. Really, as we walk with our Savior, it should take longer and longer, more and more, to get us angry. Does that mark your life? I'll just be honest, it doesn't always mark mine. Those are times I need to refuse to rush, take time to walk in step with my Savior. The saying goes, what goes up must come down. And what's inside will come out. Matthew 12, 34, just the second part, says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. If we hold anger in there, it's coming out. But as I like to remind the teens, that verse, and in context, it really is a rebuke of some, the Pharisees, I believe, who were holding bad in their hearts, and so it was coming out. They thought it wasn't, but it was, and it will. But it can be a great thing. If you're doing your best to walk with your Savior in step, that's what's on the inside, it'll come out in some awesome ways. You'll be a blessing to people, 
And you might not even know it. You'll be a blessing to people. You weren't even trying to do anything. You're just walking with your Savior, and all of a sudden, you're a help, you're an encouragement, you're a blessing. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So that can be a wonderful thing. And it will be if we refuse to rush into anger and all of that. This decision of Haman would ultimately cost him his life. So let me ask you, when you get angry in your words, even your thoughts, certainly your actions, are you reacting or responding? There was one college class that uh, I took that really encouraged us to, to examine those things. There was a really annoying pamphlet they made us read called Your Reactions Are Showing. And we were supposed to not just be reacting all the time, and, and that just stepped on my toes, and I didn't like it. Very convicting thought. But something happens, someone cuts you off in traffic, someone says something that you don't like, uh, that the family gathering on Thursday, someone did something you didn't like, or maybe the one in a few weeks at Christmas, or, or at work, or whatever it is. Are you responding the way Jesus wants you to, or are you just reacting in your flesh? Haman just reacted, and it didn't go well. Simple illustration, but you think of a chemical reaction. No, I won't be doing one up here right now. But they don't always Go the way you plan. You ever add too much baking soda to the baking soda vinegar uh, volcano? Anybody still cleaning up the mess from years ago and finding the mess around their kitchen? If you really want a fun one, do elephant's toothpaste. Google that one later. It's fairly simple, I believe. And uh, I believe Andrew Smith did that one as the mad scientist at BBS a few years ago. Great one there. Man, if you're not careful, even a simple reaction, a chemical reaction, will supposed to be supposed to be this. All of a sudden, it's a lot bigger. That can make a little bit of a mess. Our reactions can make more of a mess. Haman, if he had gotten his way, would have killed all the Jews. Now, we know God wouldn't have let that happen and didn't. But that was what he wanted to do in his reaction. Haman's reaction eventually ends up costing him his life. Our reactions may not have that high of stakes all the time. But let's be people who, instead of rushing to respond and really ending up reacting, will take the time to respond the way God wants us to respond. So are you responding or are you, are you reacting? Refuse to rush into what seems right, even when you're angry. Next, refuse to rush into a decision without all the facts. It's easy as a parent. Maybe it's just me. But uh, whichever girl gets to me first, sissy did that. And I'm like mad at the other sister. Why'd you do that? And they're like, okay, no, that wasn't the whole story. Oops. I just reacted instead of hearing it out and carefully, not rushing, responding right. Let's, let's hear it out. Unfortunately, Ahasuerus at this point, he's going to do what he can to make it right later. But at this point, he's a bad example of this. He rushed right into agreeing with Haman's evil plan. And while the stakes may not be on a national or all the Jews level for us, man, our reactions, our rushing into decisions without all the facts, really rushing into a decision at all, it's not going to work out well. Notice Esther 3 verse 8. It says, And Haman said unto King Ahasuerus, There's a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of thy kingdom. And their laws are diverse from all people, neither keep they the king's laws. Therefore, it is not written, or it is not for the king's prophet to suffer them. If it, if it please the king, let it be written that they may be destroyed. You notice he hasn't even named the people group yet? Certainly, Ahasuerus hasn't taken the time to, okay, I'm married to one of them, I'm married to a Jew. You know, rushing the decision, middle of verse 9, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver to the hands of those that have the charge of the business to bring into the king's treasuries. And the king took his ring from his hand, apparently not asking a single question. 
here's the ring, here's my authority, and gave it unto Haman, the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, the Jew's enemy. And the king said unto Haman, The silver is given to thee, the people also, to do with them as it seemeth good to thee. Let's not be that hasty in our decisions. Now, our decisions, again, may not have thousands of lives in the balance, but they may have the very lives of our family. They, they may have the spiritual well-being of those around us. And every decision, every major decision we make, even on a daily basis, consequences are big. Let's not rush into that without getting all the facts. Sometimes that's just spending a little extra time in the Word. That's just spending a little extra time with God. We'll talk about prayer in a moment, but that's just spending a little extra time saying, God, am I seeing this the way you want me to see? Uh, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Are we getting the mind of Christ about whatever we're making a decision about? It's funny. I typed in a website, I think it was Striving Together, where we get a lot of our curriculum from Paul Chapel and in his ministry for Sunday school. And I, I typed strivingtogether.con, C-O-N, and hit enter without even realizing it. It took me to something, and I quickly, quickly backed out of it and corrected it to .com. But then I got to thinking, wouldn't it be amazing and scary if every con artist that's trying to rip people off financially just had to have a website with .con, .con, con artist, at the end of it? That'd be pretty easy to avoid, wouldn't it? You just don't mistype like I did and type .con instead of .com. And if you type .con, you know you're on a fraud site, and it's not going to work. We need to be much more discerning in our lives. It's the enemies, the people, the, the Hamans are not going to say, I'm a bad guy, this is a dot-con website, I'm, I'm out to ruin your life. It'll be much more subtle. Let's not rush into decisions. And don't type dot .con at the end of a website either. I don't even think it was an actual site, thankfully. But uh, 1 John 4.1 gives us a great reminder here. He says, Beloved, Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. And we can really apply that verse to any influence in our life, any influence that we're allowing into our family's lives. Does it line up with scripture? Test the spirits. Try the spirits. See if the influences in our lives match up with the Bible. Don't rush into a decision. You ever get, maybe it is, hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, and wrong seems right. Maybe not even sinful, but like a bad idea seems like a good idea. Anybody base their eating on uh, some like hungry impulses over the last few days and regretting it? Like you need to like not do that again for a little while. You, you meant to eat one slice of the pumpkin pie and you did one, one slice. The slice was circular and uh, yeah, I didn't eat a whole pie, but I ate more than I should have. I'll admit, boy, so often we're basing it on what feels right, what seems right, what we're rushed into. It's not right. Satan will so often want us to hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up into a bad decision. God wants us to step back, walk with him, see the whole picture, get all the details, and we'll realize that's a horrible idea. The ends thereof are the ways of death, maybe, or, or just not what we need to be doing. Let's refuse to rush into a decision without all the facts. Let's take time to get the facts, to get the details from Jesus. Spend that time walking with our Savior. Next, let's refuse to rush into a Band-Aid solution. And now my daughters love Band-Aids. They are convinced at five and six years old that a Band-Aid will fix anything. I sure hope they don't ever break a bone. But if they do, they're probably going to think that a princess Band-Aid, especially if it's the right Disney princess, will fix it. 
Yeah, Daddy, you can take me to the hospital, but give me a Band-Aid first, they'll probably say through the tears. But really, Band-Aids don't fix a lot. They can cover a scratch. Uh, help me out, parents that are smarter than I am. I am yet to convince my daughters that they don't need a Band-Aid if they're not bleeding. Yeah. It's a bruise. I think they wanted to put a Band-Aid on my finger. It, it, the bruise, it's not bleeding out. It's inside the fingernail and hopefully going to grow out soon. But they just I, I can't convince them of that. They're convinced that if they can just put a Band-Aid, just cover it up, just slap a little something on it, it'll be fine. Now, Esther, in Esther 4, starting in verse 1, kind of tries to do that. I don't say that to fault her too much because the rest of the chapter is coming. And she absolutely nails it. But notice in verse 1, when Mordecai perceived all that was done, that the Jews' lives are all in danger. Mordecai read his clothes and put on sackcloth with ashes and went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and bitter cry and came even before the king's gate for none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. So Mordecai, I mean, he's grieving. He's doing so in a way that could endanger him. But he is even, it's not the, the sackcloth, the ashes, all of that is not the real problem. The problem is that the Jews' lives are all threatened. Verse 3, And in every province, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, there was great mourning among the Jews, and fasting, and weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So Esther's maids and her chamberlains came and told it her. Then was the queen exceedingly grieved, and she sent raiment to clothe Mordecai, and to take away his sackcloth from him. But he received it not. Now, again, I don't say this. I say this more to be an example to us than to be some harsh criticism of Esther. But she saw it as, okay, you're going to get yourself in trouble if you're hanging out near the palace and you're in sackcloth and ashes. Why are you grieving? The, the king's not going to like it. So here, put on some new clothes. That wasn't the problem. The problem that Mordecai's life, Esther's life, all of the Jews' lives were in danger. And how often do we want to rush to a quick solution for a friend family member, instead of looking at the real need. So often we don't look any deeper than what Esther did initially. Now she's about to nail it. She's about to do great. But the new clothing did nothing for the real problem. And a lot of times in the people around us who are maybe panicking, maybe freaking out, maybe going through something really big, the outward symptoms, the outward behavior, it's often just an indication of the real inward issues. Some of you got together with family. Some of your family has issues, probably. Uh, some of your family's in this room, so don't look at them. Don't, don't, don't go there. We're not trying to do that tonight. I mean, counseling available later if needed. But uh, how many of you saw deep spiritual need instead of just ridiculously annoying behavior? Most of us probably were together with some unsaved family, either for Thanksgiving or around Christmas and all of that. How many is it just we just want the peace kept, which we do, and that's good. Just want to have a good time together. And so if there's a squabble, if there's an issue, if there's a problem, just slap a Band-Aid on it. Just have everybody look good on the outside. Well, maybe God wants us to address the heart issue. Who knows? Maybe God will use us to lead someone to the Lord this Christmas season in our family. Wouldn't that be awesome? It might not be easy. Man, Esther's going to have to risk her very life going before the king here in just a moment to go beyond the Band-Aid solution. Band-Aid solutions are easy. But looking at the deep, real issue is what can actually solve and help the deep, real issue. My parents' pastor tells this story often, and it sticks with me, that uh, there was a dad with two young boys on a metro in a big city, 
and the boys were losing their minds. I mean, just, I mean, almost literally bouncing off the walls as this metro is going down. Crowded metro, a lot of businessmen and businesswomen in their, in their fancy clothes just trying to get to work. And these boys are just yelling, screaming, bouncing off the walls, outward issues everywhere. And the one businessman just finally looked at the dad and said, Sir, can you please get your boys to settle down, to sit down, and to be quiet? They're annoying everybody. This is a problem. The dad looked back at him and said, I'm sorry. I don't know how to do that. They just found out that their mom died, and they don't know how to handle it. A lot bigger situation. A lot bigger than sit down and be quiet would have helped. I bet you that businessman felt a little silly. I bet you he helped in any way he could because he's got to finally see that the outward behavior wasn't the issue. It was just a sign of the issue. He got to see, like Esther sees with Mordecai, hey, there's more going on. I need to help with what's really going on. Do we take time to do that for the people in our lives? Let's not rush into a Band-Aid solution. It's amazing. Jesus never did that. Now, we could give probably dozens and dozens of examples. Let me give you just one. But Jesus was busy. He was busy going around telling people how they could get saved. He was going around healing the sick, doing miracles, doing big stuff. And he could have always kept going. See someone with a need, he could have band-aided it, said, you know, here's a little solution. This will get you fed for a day. This will help you in temporary. He could have moved on, but he didn't do that. So often he was able to help because he knew the deepest need. In Matthew 19, you don't have to turn there unless you want to. But Matthew 19, starting in verse 16. It says, and behold, one came and said unto him, said unto Jesus, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. Not that Jesus was saying, Hey, if you keep all the commandments and you're perfect, that you can earn your way to heaven. Jesus wanted this guy to see, Hey, you're not perfect. You need a savior. You think you're good enough? And I could just tell you, oh, you're doing fine and go on your way. But Jesus wanted this guy to see, hey, my heart's not perfect. Jesus, or the, the man says in verse 18, he saith unto him, which? Jesus said, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man saith unto him, all these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? In other words, hey, I'm I'm good. I'm all set. Verse 21, Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Jesus, again, was not saying, hey, if you actually will sell everything you have, you can basically buy your way to heaven. No, not at all. Jesus was showing this man, hey, you think you're good outwardly, and I can be satisfied with that and say, hey, you're not, you're not killing anybody. You're not, you're not cussing anybody out. This is good. You're being kind to people. Or this is good. Jesus saw the need in his heart that he was imperfect and he was rejecting Jesus as Savior. Wouldn't even see the need of a Savior. And he helped him see that he needed to see his sin, his imperfection, and he needed a Savior. I don't know who all will be around in our community, in our families. Let's refuse to settle for rushing into a Band-Aid solution. Let's see the real needs, walk step-by-step step with our Savior, and see how he might use us to meet the real deep, heart-level, even eternal needs of people by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And last, let's refuse to rush into the best you and I can come up with. Let's refuse to rush into any decision without prayer. 
Now, I'm a youth pastor. I'm, I'm cheesy and silly. My wife will tell you my jokes are, are cheesy. Uh, I would say hilarious. She would say cheesy and ridiculous. But uh, I come by it honest. My dad and I have the same sense of humor. So if you like the cheesy jokes I sometimes tell, and my dad comes into town next time, have him tell you jokes. He'll do it. And uh, there'll be that sort of uh, that sort of humor. But I often, can th- I often say to the teens, okay, if you've got two shoes in front of you in the morning, and you want to make the decision left shoe first or right shoe first without praying, I think you're okay. I think you can make that decision without saying, okay, God, please guide me. Do I want to put my left shoe on or my right shoe? I just don't know. I think you can, you know, go for that. I'll also, in my cheesy way, challenge them to try to put both shoes on at once. I'm yet to see a video of one of them pulling it off, I, you know, jumping, I don't know. But, man, any decision that can impact ourselves and those around us, let's not rush into the best we can do. Let's take time for prayer. Mordecai, Esther, so many of the Jews absolutely nail that. This is frankly probably the most practical point of this whole message. If you're like, okay, I don't want to rush. I'm convinced I need to walk with my Savior and refuse to rush. Tell me how. Read your Bible, pray more. Pray over every decision. See how long it takes you to make decisions and see how often you make a decision without ever even praying. Let's be careful with that. Esther 4.13 says, Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. Esther had you know, gotten back to him and saying, Hey, I can't go before the king. If he doesn't hold out his scepter, if he doesn't invite me in, I'm, I'm toast, I'm dead. Mordecai says, Hey, this is going to affect you anyway. Verse 14, very famous uh, passage here. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer. Go, gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan, and fast ye for me, and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise, and so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. I've read that passage many times. The word pray isn't in there. She wasn't just starving herself for the purpose. She wasn't fasting just to fast. It wasn't a ritual. She was praying. She was seeking God's will, God's plan, ready to face even death. If I perish, I perish. Ready to walk with her Savior through no matter what. Ready to not rush into panic. Not Ready to make the decision knowing all the facts. Ready not for the best she could come up with but ready to get the best that God had in mind. If we'll walk with God, refuse to rush ahead of his plan, his purpose, and his timing, we'll enjoy the best he has in mind for us. By the way, if we're too busy to pray, we're just plain too busy. If we can't take time to pray, we better schedule time to to repent after the mistakes we've made. I don't know about you, those times aren't fun. I'd rather avoid them. I'd rather spend the time on the front end praying, seeking God's will, not rushing in. Again, as as your process, maybe this is more guys at home with your wives, I don't know, but as your process been, speak first, think later, insert foot into mouth. And that's pretty much where we're at. And and then buy flowers, buy buy flowers and chocolate. Maybe, Maybe that's a part of the process. In a marriage, in any relationship, certainly better to, to think first. And in so many ways, our busy 2021 year, our our busy lifestyles 
will push us to rush into the best we can come up with. Let's refuse. Let's stop. Doesn't mean we'll plod along slowly through life. God will have times where he's moving quickly. We need to move quickly to be with him. He has a lot for us to do sometimes. But let's refuse to rush into the best we can come up with. Let's spend time with our Savior. Let's be willing to do that. Think about this. Again, silly illustration. I'm a dad and a youth pastor. It's what I do. But if I take this soda, anybody already starting to get nervous? (laughs) Brother Greg, Miss Angie, probably. They're the ones that are going to have to clean up my mess, you know. I haven't opened it. This should work. I mean, you know, it should, should. But, you know, this ever feel like your life, everything, stress, pressure, work, just shaking you around? Yeah. Anybody, you look real close and you might see yourself in there. Yeah, this is just, just what it's like. Let's refuse to have that. Let's take the times with God. Let's take the times even just to breathe a prayer during the day and to seek the best God can do. Now, by the way, it's starting to die down. You think I could open that soda without making a mess right now? How long? I, I got nothing. I haven't Googled this. I have not tested it. And I, I won't open the soda. I promise, Brother Greg Missanchi. I'm not going to open the soda. I promise. I promise. Someone may sneak up and do it. It's not going to be me. But I, I don't know. Ten minutes? Hour? I'm not really sure. I don't really spill sodas because I'm not going to open it until it's ready. It just says Coca-Cola, and it says Recycle Me. There's a name there. There you go. No name on that one. But I'm not going to spill the soda because I'm not going to open it. Let's refuse to make a decision before we should. Let's refuse to run ahead of our Savior. Even when life's shaking us around and we feel like that, and we're like, okay, I've got to do this now. If God's not directing you to do it now, you ain't got to do it now. We can take a moment. We can take some time. We don't have to respond right away. We can take more time than our flesh wants to. We can take more time than we think we can. You know the story, most of you. Read, read the, sit down and read the whole book of Esther sometime in one sitting. That would be an awesome thing. But uh, I say that and then I'm, I, I may have to do that. I've read it you know, through fairly quickly. I'm not sure if all in one sitting or not. But uh, she comes before the king. The king honors her. She's able to basically ask for whatever she wants. She, through wisdom, doesn't rush has not just one banquet for Ahasuerus and Haman, but two, then puts the request before him, and uh, the king ends up taking care of Haman for her. The king ends up solving the problem. This unsaved, ungodly king, God uses him to solve the problem. Because she wasn't saying, I need to do this now, and there's opening the soda and making a mess. She was willing to wait three days, and then she was ready to move forward. Let's not run ahead of our Savior. I don't know if I could open that right now without making a mess or not, so I'm not going to do it. Wait until God's telling you, now's the time to do that. Now's the time to respond. Maybe you do got to have a hard conversation. Now's the time. If God's not showing you it's the time yet, if the path isn't plain, don't do it yet. Wait a little bit. You ever make a whole lot bigger mess than a bottle of Coke ever could? I've rushed into things. I've had life doing that to me. And that, and probably a little of that, and who knows? I'll throw it to the back to picture, you know, what life can do to us sometimes. And I've had a blessed life, absolutely. But, I mean, life can shake us up. Let's refuse to rush. Let's allow God to be the one to direct our steps. Let's allow God to be the one to tell us when it's time to make that decision, when it's time to take that action, when it's time to move into the next step. And let's allow God to use us. This Christmas season and beyond, boy, God used Mordecai. God used Esther. Such a happy ending that they could have missed. They had rushed ahead of it. Let's refuse to rush ahead of God. Let's pray.
God, you're so good. You're the perfect planner. You know the end from the beginning. May we trust you. And I pray for anyone in here who life is shaking them around in this way or that. I pray for each of us that you'll show us how to respond, when to respond, what decisions to make, and that we'll be a people who respond, who walk with you instead of reacting to everything life throws in our way. You had a plan before Haman was even born. You knew exactly what you were going to do to save your people, to honor and help and save Mordecai's life and Esther's life. You know it all, and you know it all for our lives as well. I pray that we won't run ahead of you, but that we'll move as fast or as slow as you direct us to and just be walking through life with you this Christmas season and beyond. Thank you for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You are dismissed.